Hi, this is Devin Boker, and you are listening to The Wild Life, a show that tells nature's untold secrets and wild stories. It's also episode 51 without Ryan Reynolds as a guest to compare and contrast real-life wolverines with Hugh Jackman's wolverine. So Ryan, if you're out there and you're listening right now, um, we could we could use that. We could use, you're not doing anything. It's it's quarantine. I'm I'm fairly certain that your plate is not full at home with your children and your wife and your gin business and all of that. But um, as you know, if you've been listening, which I'm sure that you have, you know, high school students they're they're the ones who are asking for this, and I'm and I'm doing it on their demand, um, their very vigorous demand. So I will continue doing this, and and hopefully one day. One day we'll have you, we'll have you on. So just keep it in mind. Consider it. Do it for the children. Yeah. It's also a very, very special episode today because it's a, it, well, it's, it's a first for us, um, partnering with uh, another, another podcast. And today we have Ellen Weatherford of Just the Zoo of Us. Hey y'all, it's me, Ellen. If you haven't listened to Just the Zoo of Us, I highly recommend it. It's incredibly entertaining. It's incredibly interesting. And and Ellen, do you want to give a, a synopsis of uh, what your show typically entails? Yeah. So uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me join you guys. I'm really excited. This is going to be a really fun episode. Um, so yeah, I do just me and my husband, Christian, do Just the Zoo of Us, which is a podcast about animals. Specifically, it is a review podcast about animals, which means that um, in each episode, me and Christian choose one species of animal. We do a what we consider to be a pretty comprehensive review where we rate the animal out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics, and uh, just kind of talk about what makes them so interesting and special. So it, it's a really fun podcast it's it we we always learn a lot when we make it um and we've also recently been doing a lot of guest episodes where we have been actually talking to scientists and researchers and zookeepers who who study and work with these animals that they're talking about so you know christian and i are not zoologists or anything like that but we've started getting some really really uh awesome expert insights so we've been having a lot of fun with it it's a it's a very um I think it's a kind of lighthearted, kind of fun show, and we, we just have a really good time with it. Yeah, I especially in the, uh, I think it was the latest episode I was listening to, the um, aside about the caterpillar poop, found incredibly entertaining. Oh my entertaining. gosh. I was, I, was, yeah. I was driving through a parking lot, and I like actually had to stop for a minute because I was just enjoying it and laughing, and it was a good, it was a good <laughs> break from the, the NPR doom and gloom about coronavirus, so I was... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people have been, um, you know, saying that it, it's a good distraction, you know, from the kind of uh, doom and gloom. Um, yeah, so so the thing you're talking about was was we talked about puss caterpillars yeah. on our last episode, and an interesting thing that they do is that they fire their poop poop like a projectile, <laughs> um, which was very unexpected for me to learn about, and it was very fun to get to share. Um, usually, my husband is the one that brings really gross stuff to the show, um, so I got to be the one that time to kind of bring the kind of the nasty content. So that was pretty fun to be on the other <laughs> side of that. Speaking of uh, projectile poop, we just did an episode on penguins, and we learned that the Adelie penguin 
also does the same thing. It shoots its poop like a body length away um, to avoid pooping in its nest, which I mean, makes sense. I suppose you don't want to poop poop there, but. Um, yeah, I think that's an underrated strategy. Yeah. It's it it really is a pretty effective, like a tactical choice that I think more animals should try. <laughs> you know, I do wonder, um, and I, I kind of, I'm kind of curious, you know, how, um, how projectile a human poo might potentially be, but we have no idea because we use toilets. Just throwing that out I know, there. but I also, I feel like we wouldn't be able to get much distance with yeah, it, no, you know, like no. I feel like it wouldn't be, I don't think it would work out the same yeah, way. Yeah, probably, probably not. A tragic limitation of the human body. <laughs> We're advanced in so many ways, but the projectile poop, we're just, we're just not quite there. <laughs> um, well, That's as, next on the list of, of evolution. Yeah. Yeah. As, as that was a, a bit of a break, um, it was a, it was a break about a break. Um, this, this episode, I'm kind of myself, I'm kind of looking at it as a, a sort of a, a break in, in hopefully one that I'll explain, I'll explain. For, for quite a while, um, Richard and I have been tossing back and forth this idea about, um, well, big life. And it, it originally came up, I had a high school student who, who asked me in class one day, we were talking about like extremes and, and we had just looked at what are the oldest organisms and gone through a whole like listicle sort of thing. And the student said, what's the biggest organism? And it, it was something that I thought was going to be a really easy answer. Um, really straightforward. And I was like, okay, here, here's the answer. And then it, it, it turned out to actually be a lot more complicated with a lot more layers and a lot more like, well, what's big? <laughs> what does that really mean? Um, so we had this idea. What is an organism? <laughs> yeah. Like well, what is it exactly? What is an organism? Is it one thing? Is it many things? Like who knows? Um, and, and so we had this idea that we have been kind of throwing back and forth for maybe a year or so about doing something on big life. And uh, right now, um, for a variety of reasons, one, the fact that Just the Zoo of Us is an animal review podcast and they have their whole rating metric system and stuff, and I, I thought it would mesh well with this topic. And the other thing is, um, right now, I think a lot of us feel very small um, with, with the things that are going on. And there's a, lot, there's a lot to think about in terms of size and metrics and numbers and... Um, this, this to me, um, I, I think that by not focusing on the little organism right now that's causing so much chaos, um, by looking at something bigger than ourselves and uh, uh, looking at variety and, and life and organisms and animals and plants and everything else um, might, be, might be a nice change of pace. So that's, that's what we're doing today. We are exploring big life. I'm very excited. So what is the, um, I think, I think a lot of people might have a good guess right off the bat, but what is the largest land organism? All right. So this is, this is my wheelhouse for today. The largest land animal is the African savanna elephant. So it's scientific name is Loxodonta africana. 
And I specify African savanna elephant because there are a few different subspecies of African elephants. So as a lot of people know, there are two different species with the African and the Asian elephant, but then within those species, there are different subspecies. So the African savanna elephant is bigger than the African forest elephant. So like the elephants that are native to these kind of wide open grassy areas, they have a lot more like elbow room, right? So like if you're, if you're growing in a forest that's dense and you have a lot of like trees around you and canopy overhead, you don't have as much room to grow really huge. Um, but out on the savanna, there's, there's so much space and so much room that they really get to these insane sizes. So specifically, Adult males can reach a height of 13 feet or four meters at the shoulder, um, and they can weigh uh, between two and a half to seven tons. Holy cow. Or five, yeah, that's a lot, 5,000 <laughs> to 14,000 pounds. For metric people, that is 2,300 to 6,400 kilograms. So this is a real absolute unit they (laughs) eat up to 600 pounds or 272 kilograms of vegetation per day um so they have to be eating pretty much constantly in order to you know support a a body of that size and i want to take just like a real quick two second detour to say that um a couple of days ago i watched this documentary about elephants about african elephants it was like a one of those disney documentaries on disney plus and it was about african elephants and i watched it with my six-year-old and he was enthralled so he really really enjoyed it but i don't know what it was this documentary was like over an hour long out of that whole thing there was one piece of information that he retained and it was that the elephant eats an amount of food per day that if it were to eat that amount in hamburgers would be 2,500 hamburgers. <laughs> and that is literally all he got from that entire documentary. He ignored the rest of the documentary, di- didn't absorb anything. It was just the 2,500 hamburgers. I, you know, I feel like that's <laughs> like like teaching half the time. You like you throw out just a random tidbit and then that's the thing that they glue on to for some reason. And it's just That like, was oh, exactly okay. what happened. Yeah, he really latched onto it. So I thought that was really funny. Um, and that kind of like made it stick out to me in turn that I, I was just so so tickled by the fact that he and then like a few days later, somebody like somebody asked him what his favorite animal was. He said, Oh, it's the elephant because they can eat two thousand five hundred hamburgers. I was like, Okay. <laughs> you know, you know, on a, a similar note, literally today, um, I was doing a, a physics class and one of my students said how many of the um, half pound beef and cheddars from Arby's would I have to eat to gain exactly one pound? (laughs) So um, I'll be honest. We actually, we paused what we were doing and we looked up the the caloric information and did the math and stuff and figured it out. And I I can't remember right now what the exact number is. I think it's four. Um, (laughs) But he was like, oh, cool. (laughs) Sometimes you need to like take a quick little like enrichment detour. Yeah. Like you have to like supplement education with like a little bit of funsies. Yeah. Yeah. So the um, since they eat so much food and and they're herbivores, right? So they're eating, you know, any sort of plant, like they're eating like whatever fruits and leaves and grasses and stuff they can they can find. Mm-hmm. Um well, leaves particularly cuz they do like to, you know, they they're not exactly browsing on the ground very much, but they 
this really kind of puts them in conflict with farmers in the areas that they live in. So unfortunately, well, fortunately for them, unfortunately for the farmers, in addition to being very, very large, they're also very, very smart. So they're really difficult to keep out of crop fields and like crop storages and stuff. So elephants can even figure out how to break through electrified fences by using fallen logs as tools that they just smash right through the fence. Oh, wow. You know, I I have to admit, when you first said it, I was thinking for a second, like, well, an elephant can't be all that sneaky, can they? I mean, they're huge, but that, that makes more sense. The brute force. I get it. Yeah, they're not really into using stealth. <laughs> they just they they use a log like a battering ram, right? Cuz they know that the fence will hurt them, but then they just use a log to smash it and then they just walk right through and, you know, loot the crops and and so they can kind of make enemies um with humans because of how much they eat. But another way that they uh support such a massive amount of weight is that the bones in their legs are not filled with marrow like in like our legs like our leg bones have this core in the center where it's it's filled with marrow mm-hmm. but instead elephant leg bones are bone all the way through Ooh. so it's like a it's kind of like a spongy sort of bone like it has a lot of little air bubbles in it but it is bone so it is extremely dense and it's actually extremely heavy so I saw a figure that said, like, I think it was like 13 or 15% of their body weight is just their skeleton. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So massive bones that are, that are you know, supporting a lot of weight. So they're very thickly built and, and built to keep themselves upright. That, and it helps them be able to stand up for a long time without expending a lot of energy. So you'll see them a lot of times they will um, stand for... They'll they'll go days and days and days without laying down. Like they'll sleep. Lay, the, sorry, they'll sleep standing up. They will just. They, it's it's like a lot of energy for them to get up. So they just stay standing for like a week at a time. You know, I kind of feel like that myself lately. Where I feel like if I sit down on the couch, I'm not going to get back up. So I just keep upright. <laughs> <laughs> You're like I can't let myself. I can't let myself recline because then I'm going to lose momentum. Yeah. I'm I'm a bit more like so, an elephant than I thought. <laughs> They're very relatable in a lot of ways. Um, so I mentioned earlier that there's Asian and African elephants. So Asian elephants are smaller. But another way that you can tell um, Asian elephants apart from African elephants is the size of their ears. Hmm. So African elephants have these huge ears. So they're like bigger. They're about like about the size of or even bigger than their head. So... This is so that blood that travels through the vessels in their ears has this really large area to pass through that is close to the surface of the skin. So like the skin on the ears is very, it's it's like thinner and the ear is thinner. So the blood vessels are a little bit closer to the air outside of the body. Okay. So this lets the blood, as the blood is circling through the vessels in the ears, it cools off because it's closer to the air and then it circulates back into the body at a lower temperature. So this keeps elephants from overheating in, in the intensity of the desert. It's um, interesting that it's the ears and not like, I mean, I guess that, that of other body and they have a long nose. But, you know, not yeah. you know, not that they have like a long, weird tail or I, I guess I can't think of another part that would make sense for that. But Yeah. 
so this um this trait of having those big ears is actually pretty common in desert mammals. Uh, you see this in fennec foxes. Mm-hmm. You see this in like rabbits that live out in the desert. Um, you see it in like kangaroo rats, um, stuff like that that have that have big ears like that. It, it's for it's for cooling the body down. I I mentioned this recently to Christian, and he was like, "Oh, it's like a um, it's like a cooling system on a computer." Yeah. I was like, I guess. <laughs> so I thought that was really neat. That's a really cool adaptation to let them be like huge and have such a massive body in the desert without overheating. Mm-hmm. So what is really cool is that, so these elephants are massive. Nothing is going to hunt an elephant. The, uh, the adult elephants don't have any predators. Nothing will hunt them. But they're still social. And they live in herds that are typically related females and their babies so there will be a matriarch that's leading the herd and all of their little young ones with them and then when the young ones if they're if they're males when they mature into adults they're kind of they'll go their own way they'll either live on their own or sometimes they'll like form a little group of other like bachelor (laughs) other adult male elephants um but so what's interesting about that edition sorry yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's they they really like they'll click up. But so different herds will even kind of develop relationships with each other. So like some herds will be on like good terms with each other. So when they cross paths, like when they're traveling through the desert, when they run into each other, they'll like socialize, they'll like greet each other and get all excited and and like play with each other for a little while and then they go on and go on about their business. Huh. It's really cute to watch. They get really excited. You know, I just learned um uh hyenas are kind of like that. I mean, not, they don't necessarily always um okay, so like they 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 are in I can't think of the name of the bigger group, but they tech technically exist in like these really large groups of hundreds of individuals but they take different sections of the land to go off in like smaller groups and then occasionally meet back up for different reasons and i was kind of blown away by that but technically speaking like their packs are like hundreds i thought that was cool yeah yeah hyenas have really really interesting like social hierarchies yeah really get into it um i haven't had a chance to like really do a deep dive but I, just from what I've I've heard bits and pieces, like hyenas are are really really interesting in the way that they like communicate with each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, they kind of. Oh get yeah, a bad I, rap. I was also. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're they're great. They're I mean they're a little spooky, but yeah. I mean <laughs> hey, they're they're not gonna bother you probably. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> um. Yeah. So so the other thing I was gonna say about elephant like herd structure is that they have this really cool thing they can do where they can communicate over these really wide distances. So they make these vocalizations that they make just like with their voices, right? Just Mm -hmm. like a human like speech or like, um, you know, they make it the same way that they make their other vocalizations, but it is infrasonic. So it is a rumbling sound that is at such a low pitch that it is outside of the range of human hearing. It's outside the range of most things hearing. Most things can't hear it, but they can hear it. And these sounds travel for miles and miles and miles. So they can actually keep in contact with other members of their herd, even over a long range. So they can be like way off a couple miles in the other direction and they can still like make this sort of like, it's sort of like a stealthy uh it's a sound that like they can hear that nothing else can that's hear. awesome so that they can 
meet back up. Yeah. It's so cool. So they have this really complex language of not just verbal like vocalizations, but they also can communicate non-verbally. You know, they express a lot of different emotions. They express joy, they express frustration and sadness and affection and fear. And just like the way that they they will, you know, use their voices to to communicate with each other, but they'll also, you know, use their trunks to like groom each other or even just to like touch each other gently to like express like support. It's it's really, really amazing. Like watching elephants in a herd is just really like there's just so much to it. Like there there's so much going on with their like they they're very soulful, I think. Yeah, yeah. No. So I I think overall, if I was gonna give the African savanna elephant a score, maybe it's the largest. It's the largest animal in land. I know it's not the largest animal in the world, but I still gotta give him a ten out of ten. Like, yeah, I gotta give him a perfect score. They have I, my my philosophy is no predators, no problems. Yeah, they're doing great. Yeah. You know, there's a really interesting tidbit that I'm just going to um, randomly throw out there, and only because we just talked about it in class. We're, we're talking about evolution in, in my biology class right now, and um, one of the things that comes up is, um, I don't know if you're familiar with, like, the ideas that, like of Lamarck, how they used to think that, like, <laughs> giraffes yeah. um, got a longer neck because, you know, in its life, it would try to reach for a, a leaf and it couldn't. And so then its neck got longer. And it's like, that's not how it works. Like ripped human beings don't have ripped babies. It's just not, that's not <laughs> how it works. Um, but there is this really interesting, it almost looks like that's happening, but this interesting thing happening with elephants where um, because of poaching, elephants are losing their tusks. Yes. Yes. I've heard about, about this. Yes. This is so crazy. Yeah. Like elephants. So like African elephants, typically both the males and the females will have tusks. Mm -hmm. It's, it's pretty unusual for any of them to like not have a tusk. Whereas like with Asian elephants, uh, the males have tusks, but the females don't. But now you're starting to see them being born without tusks because the ones that were born with tusks were killed. Right. Yeah. So it's something like I think normally what you would expect based on the genetics is like, uh, I I might be wrong, but somewhere I think 10, 15 percent would be born without tusk just by chance. Um, And and, uh, you know, because the ones that have tusk are dying, then that leaves more tuskless elephants available in the reproductive pool. And so you have more tuskless elephants breeding and therefore more chance of tuskless elephants being born because of genetics. And then now you have suddenly this situation where it's like our typical, you know, visual of what an elephant looks like is changing. And it's it's just kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, it's also very unfortunate for the elephant because those tusks are really important to them. Yeah. Like it, it it's especially for like the African elephant that uses their tusks to um like they'll use it to almost like terraform. Yeah. Like they'll use it to to dig into the ground to unearth water. Um so they'll use it to dig for water sources, they'll use it to um use it to support like large uh, things that they're picking up like logs or trees they use it to push stuff around they use it to even like to fight either each other or predators like it their tusks are a really important tool mm-hmm. in the elephant's toolbox so like on the one hand yeah i mean okay that they're evolving to not be poached but also it it's really i, I it's just harming the 
um, overall toolkit. Yeah. Of the elephant. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's um, just an, it's another another example <laughs> of of how how things are changing in the you know in a human in a human era. You know, I have to yeah. say, as you as you talked about an elephant, there was a lot of things theme wise in, in a sense. Um, you know, the ultrasonic infrasonic communication, which is so cool. It's like having a private radio channel. Um, and the teeth, the teeth and the tooth use and the importance of that and just a bunch of that stuff that highly relates to the next largest animal on the list. Yes. So that's pretty exciting. I'm I'm excited. Yes. Yeah. So the next largest animal. Um, you might know, but is not on land. It's in the water. It's the blue whale. Its uh, scientific name is Balaenoptera musculus. And the first thing that really struck me about the scientific name is the optera piece, because typically that means wing. So like like bats are a part of the order Chiroptera, which means hand wing. And then there's like Archaeopteryx. It's it's like the ancestral bird, like the avian dinosaur. Um, and usually that's simplified as meaning like first wing. And then there's the baleen part. Because I've always understood baleen to basically just be the filter feeding system that whales have. Like, it's, it's basically like bristly hairs made up of keratin. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, so, just like our hair and our fingernails. Um, and they're kind of long like a like a like a really fine toothed comb and then they kind of branch out and create more surface area, like, like split ends <laughs> on the bottom. Um, it's sort of like having a really hairy mouth. Also, also, so fun fact about that baleen, I learned that it serves as a habitat for a whole bunch of different gastro, like gastropod species, which is kind of gross because then you have to imagine, so you're a whale in the water and not only do you have like a mouthful of hair that you're constantly getting tooth, like food, caught in um but it's also habitat for a bunch of gastropods and snails and that kind of thing (laughs) it seems it seems gross but also i know that like a lot of microorganisms live in the human mouth yeah so like this is the same thing just like scaled up oh yeah yeah i guess so to the whale like a snail (laughs) might as well be a little microorganism (laughs) that's funny i haven't even thought of it like that oh and this is a completely random aside but if you ever get a chance to look at um Oh man, I'm blanking on the name of the uh, the the ship that does the expeditions, the submarine. Uh, I'll have to. Is it the Nautilus? Yes, the Nautilus Live, where they do the whale fall visits. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh gosh, yes, that has got to be really one of the cool. coolest things ever. We're we're gonna do a future episode about whale falls, so throwing that out there. But anyway, so it turns out that um, baleen, the 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 kind in the scientific name, is spelled differently than the baleen that is the tooth comparison so that's b-a-l-e-e-n the scientific name is b-a-l-a-e-n and that is latin for whale so you know that's funny because the french word for whale is balen well yeah so it's like it's kind of um it's kind of like mildly disappointing for a moment because you're like expecting like ooh, what's <laughs> the meaning and then it just means whale um there's a there's another one i saw recently where uh uh, a giraffe scientific name is like Cameloporidae, which translates to yeah. camel leopard, and it's like what? <laughs> how? How they did really you... did their best. <laughs> they tried. <laughs> they tried. So the weird thing here is that the genus name that Balaenoptera basically means whale wing, 
Um, and then there's the species specific name, which is musculus. And back in college in anatomy class, we learned that Latin musculus means like basically a muscle, but even that is broken down to literally mean a little mouse. So basically what we're saying is that the scientific name of a blue whale means whale wing muscle or more specifically whale wing little mouse, <laughs> which huh. I'm having a hard time like grasping. <laughs> what a hodgepodge of terminology. Yeah. Yeah. So blue whales are, are tremendously large and it's kind of difficult to imagine their size. The largest animal inhabiting the earth ever, like ever, ever, like that's including dinosaurs. They, they trump even those. So, um, what I would like to do, we're going to start with a part of the blue whale, the heart part. They have a heart, the size of a small car. Like that's, that's huge. A human being, just the heart. Yeah, that's just the heart, the size of a small car. Like imagine, like a, like a Fiat or something. <laughs> Maybe even a little oh, bit bigger geez. than a Fiat, actually. Um, the aorta, which is like one of the main arteries coming off of the heart, a human being can crawl through it. Ten out of ten, do not recommend. Like, don't do that. But <laughs> but you could if you really you know found yourself in that position. I don't know why you ever would, but you could. Um, see Jonah could have found himself a nice little spot in there. Yeah. Yeah. Like a nice little, I, I would imagine it's kind of warm, um, pillowy maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe only a little bit stinky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> their, their heartbeat, it can be picked up on sonar from three kilometers away. That's not other movements of the body. That's only their heartbeat, which is nuts. Okay. I, I bet that drives like animals crazy, like animals that are close enough to them for them to be like, <laughs> that's probably just so irritating. I, I, I can imagine. It's kind of like the neighbor who won't turn down the base. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> God. Oh, but oh, but they can't, though. Yeah. Oh, it's sad. I made, I made myself sad. Yeah. They're like, well, it's just a constant party for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, so the body. There are records of individuals being over 100 feet. So that's like 30 and a half meters long for metric system people. Um, 70 to 90 feet, probably more on the average size, but still 100 feet, even close to 150 feet, which is crazy. So for comparison, because I know that sometimes when you just throw out random numbers like this, like 100 feet and stuff, it's hard to hard to um, visualize. And in the spirit of the, what was it, 2,500 hamburgers? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In in the spirit of that, I'm going to throw out some other comparisons. Um, the length of a blue whale is about one third of a football field. It's the length of a Boeing 737-500, the length of a nine story building. Or if you were to go outside on the sidewalk and take like 33 paces down the road, that's the length of a blue whale from nose to the end of the tail. It's also the distance mm. that you're told to leave between your car and a school bus, but no one ever does that. Just saying. <laughs> this is an absolute unit. <laughs> There's also, I, I when I was looking for things that are 100 feet long, I found a 100 foot slip and slide video. Um, it's like, well, okay, yeah, sure. But so <laughs> <laughs> you could just say 100 foot long anything at that point. Yeah, I'm like, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> I, I have to admit I want to make one now though, but. Um, the average weight for an adult is 200,000 to 300,000 pounds. So that's about 100 to 150 tons. 
And again, I wasn't really sure how much that was. So I looked up a list of things that kind of weigh about the same amount. And I ended up actually finding a specific listicle on a website that was oddly very, very specific itself called Uh, (laughs) weightofstuff.com. And at the top of the list, unsurprisingly, was the blue whale being at, you know, weighed the exact amount that I looked up. I was like, okay, well, that doesn't help me. So then I, I kept scrolling down the list. And again, the Boeing 737-500 popped up. So not only are they the same length, but they're the same weight, which is kind of crazy. Okay, so this is like a, it's like a comparable yeah. uh, scale. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Like, it's like a solid scale. So if you imagine, you know, a group of Boeing 737-500s on an airfield, you could say, oh, that's like, that's like what a bunch of blue whales would look like sitting on the airfield. And they weigh the same too. <laughs> so... Yeah. Whenever I see pictures that people have taken of like going whale watching, I've, I've never seen a picture of somebody like finding a blue whale while whale watching. It's usually like humpback whales yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, but I, the size of a blue whale makes me so nervous. <laughs> yeah. It makes me feel like fearful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, or like some of those pictures of people who are like scuba diving right next to a whale. Like I, I wouldn't, I kind of want to, but I'm also really afraid of deep water. And I also don't know how I feel about being next to a living being. That's the size of a Boeing 737 500, but, um, and they got that tail that's like just perfectly catapult shape. They could (laughs) eat you into the sun if they wanted to. Like, I'm not going to give them the chance. That's ultra yeet right there. I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what was the other thing that I saw? Um, they they also weigh the same as the, um, um, I know most people call it the bean, but the cloud gate sculpture in Chicago, that big mirror oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, same weight as that. Um, and, and the space shuttle and a locomotive engine, which is basically saying you would not want to be a car in front of a blue whale moving at 70 miles per hour. So Absolutely not. Yeah. Did... Did you happen to find any information on how they got that measurement? Like, how did they weigh a blue whale? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I, w- I would imagine that part of it would have to be um, just thinking thinking off the top of my head. I mean, you take, you know, taking measurements, so figuring out the length and other dimensions, and so you could kind of build like a volume. And then if you know, you know, the biology of it or if you can compare it to the biology of another whale that has been weighed um or or finding a carcass or bone you know things like that i'm not sure i'm gonna have to look into that though because how do you do that there's no scale right like you can't exactly (laughs) airlift a blue whale out of the water it's gonna break your helicopter yeah yeah that that would not work huh that's a good (laughs) question i should have looked that up (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So let's see, uh, blue whale appearance. So they're, they're blue gray, pretty much. They're, they're modeled with a little bit of light gray. Um, there's this really weird thing where, um, phytoplankton will stick to their skin. And so it gives their bellies this yellowish tinge. And apparently there's this nickname of blue whales that's called sulfur bottom, which sounds like a really horrible middle school kind of like bully name I, I don't know oh no where you know sulfur bottom like gosh what but apparently i've never heard that before but apparently it's considered a nickname it's popular enough that it that it's a nickname 
Um, that seems like a it's just some bitter scientist that was like <laughs> mad at this one whale for like one time. That's so forbidden like, over this- there. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Rude science. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they've got really small dorsal fins. That their their pectoral fins are really long and really thin. So that's part of why they have that whale wing name. Um, they're they are a baleen whale. They have grooves all throughout their throat that have baleen coming off of them with over 800 plates of the stuff. Um, something like about 70 throat grooves extending from the throat all the way to the navel um, that allows them to to scoop up food and stuff. So um, they're, they're, let's see, let's see. Uh, in terms of numbers, there's less than 10,000 blue whales remaining. Uh, the largest concentration of of them is off the coast of California, which I had no idea, but that's apparently where they are. And about 2,000 live there and migrate back and forth between um, where Costa Rica and Mexico. So that's a that's a pretty long journey, especially the Costa Rica piece. I mean, which way are they going to get? Are they going like down yeah. south around South America? Yep. 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 Wow. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how going through the Panama Canal would work. So, um. well, I was. <laughs> I was wondering if they were going around yeah. South America, or if they were going under Africa. Oh, I don't. Yeah, like, I wonder if any. I wonder if any do. I could. I, I'm kind of curious. It just seems like the scenic route. Yeah. right? it's like there's an easier way. <laughs> <laughs> Extra long vacation this year. I mean, when you're that big, what does it matter? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're just looking for food most like, of the time anyway. It's like that's just like taking the long way to work yeah. at that point. I mean, they are found in every ocean of the world. So I'm sure I'm sure that that's like a, a, migra- a migratory pathway for for some of them. So, mm, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, usually they are seen um, actually in pairs, which is which is pretty cool because it's kind of like, you know, you see one blue whale and more than likely you're going to see another blue whale. So it's kind of like a two for one <laughs> most of the time, which is pretty cool. Um, the really cool I heard thing. I blue whales are BOGO right now. <laughs> the, the really cool thing, uh, and this is, this actually, so we're kind of coming full circle here. That thing where I brought up earlier about talking about the beef and cheddars in class came up because we were talking about whales. Um, so, so the babies themselves are even huge. Uh, babies are like 23 feet long. And 5,000 to 6,000 pounds. They drink 50 gallons of milk a day from their mom. And that milk contains 35 to 50% fat, which allows the calf to gain 10 pounds an hour. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, what? yeah, 10 pounds an hour. And so that's where I brought that up kind of, you know, out of nowhere while we were talking about light. Like, it's not even related, but I brought up the whole 10 pounds an hour. And they're like, well, how much would it take a beef and cheddar for me to gain a pound? And so that's why we had to take that break. But that's that's uh, 250 pounds a day. Like, that's They're putting nuts. away a lot of bacon cheddars. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's, that's tremendous. I feel like between um, the the fact that I am pregnant and also the fact that I am in quarantine and um, kind of just inhaling snacks at a pretty much constant rate, I think I also might be gaining ten pounds an hour. So I'm kind of I can kind of relate to the blue whale a little bit. <laughs> More relatability. <laughs> you know the weird thing. So I mean that's that's the babies. The adults, on the other hand, one of the things that I've always found really interesting about them 
is they're so large, but their food source is so, 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 so tiny. It like they eat krill. Yeah. Like these little shrimp like euphysids, these little tiny things called krill, like three inches long. And these things are a hundred feet long. And that's their food source. And it it's enough to sustain them. But they have to eat two to four tons of it a day. Which is a, a lot. Yeah, that is some krill population control in action. <laughs> um, so so all in all, um, you know, looking across uh, all of the different things that I could find about blue whales, um, looking at, you know, the the aesthetic and the ingenuity and all of that stuff. Um, and like the fact that they can do sonar, like that's awesome. Like echolocation is is so cool in general, but the fact that like animals can do it. And so apparently uh, back in the 1940s, whales could communicate a distance over a thousand miles. Like an individual oh, whale could word. communicate with a whale 1,000 miles away. Now there's too much noise pollution. So that distance has been shrunk to maybe a hundred miles. Um, you know, that's, that's, you know, uh, a 10th, <laughs> but still that's, um, that's still a tremendous distance. Like the ability to communicate over such distances, uh, kind of amazing, but I ended up giving blue whales based on those three categories. And I, and I feel bad about it. I gave them an 8.6. That's pretty but good. That's still though. pretty good. That's still pretty good. That's pretty good though. Yeah. Now. So here's the crazy thing. I said that they're the largest organism in the water but they might actually not technically depends on how you look at it, hold the title for the largest animal. It really, really genuinely just kind of depends on how you look at it and what kind of metric you pick. Um, it turns out this month that a saphonophore was spotted 2000 feet below a research vessel off the coast of Australia, and it measured 150 feet in length. So if we uh, decided to, to use length as the metric of bigness, we technically have a new animal champion that's 50 feet longer than the blue whale. But it's also sort of a tricky one. Like earlier, we said, like, you know, what is an organism? <laughs> um, Siphonophores are kind of weird because technically speaking, they're a colony of many individual zooid clusters that clone themselves and stick together to produce like this big stringy body. So it's individuals that are stuck together, but also clones of each other. It feels like cheating, sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, they're, you know, maybe, yes, they are longer than blue whales, but I still think that the blue whale probably has the game cornered in terms of mass. Like, yeah, it, because it, they're, they're long, sure, but they're, but they're so skinny. Right. Like, it's it, like a string. Yeah. Like, if you were to, it's kind of like the whole, um, I can't think of the exact number, but it's like all the DNA in your body could stretch to the sun and back however many times um, because it's so small and thin. Like it, it seems a little unfair. It's not like it, DNA is massive or anything. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that the blue whale probably still has the mass part of it like covered. Yeah. Um, but for length, maybe it could give it a run for its money. Yeah. But see, that's that's just it. Like there's all these sorts of measures of bigness like like by a different metric the heaviest organism is actually an aspen tree that lives on a plateau in utah and, and this aspen tree actually has a name it's pando which is latin for i spread out aka panda. the trembling giant yeah it sounds a lot like panda which i love it does panda express so 
I, I've been <laughs> not having that lately and it's breaking my heart. I, I need to, I need some orange chicken, but anyway, so, so how is it that an Aspen is joining these ranks in terms of largest organism? I mean, we all know that redwoods are like the tallest tree. So Aspen, like where's Aspen coming from? Well, this Aspen covers an area of land that's 106 acres in the Fish Lake National Forest. And it's estimated to weigh a collective 6 million kilograms or 6,614 short tons because there's a difference between short tons and long tons. So that's that's the weight oh. of um, 66 blue whales, basically. That's so many. Yeah. It's the heaviest known organism on the planet. It's nine times as heavy as the Christ the Redeemer statue or equal to over, because, you know, pandas sound like panda, uh, 66,000 pandas, which is 35 times more than are actually left on Earth. So, yeah. And pandas are not lightweight. No. They're chunky boys. Yeah. I actually um, did some more math. It turns out that this this aspen weighs as much as the entire population as the city that I live in. So that's uh, that's kind of crazy. The key word, though, huh. is collective. Okay. So Pando is a, a colonial, uh, clonal colony. It's an individual male. It's all started from one seed with one massive underground root system. The root system is estimated to be 80,000 years old, which also makes it one of the oldest living organisms on the planet, which is awesome. So it's like the largest, but it's also one of the absolute oldest, like 80,000 years. I don't think, I don't think it's really easy to comprehend like what, what was happening 80,000 years ago, how different the planet looked 80,000 years ago. There are creatures on the planet 80,000 years ago that have been long gone. Uh, so it's just kind of cool to think that the seed that started this organism was around at that time. The sad yeah, piece. That, that tree has probably that tree has probably been peed on by animals <laughs> that don't exist anymore. Yeah, uh, you're t- <laughs> that's kind of funny to think about. You know, a mammoth or you know the saber tooth or really, really anything. Probably not the giant sloth that was in South America. They didn't they didn't do too well up here. So, um, apparently though, current reports say that Pando might actually be dying. At least it hasn't really grown for the last 40 years so it's not really going up but that's kind of a combination of fire suppression um overgrazing and that's of cattle and deer because the deer population is too high in that area and um general human development so um with with that one um i would say i would say that my ranking for that i'm i i feel bad giving it a higher score than i did the blue whale but I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10 just because in the fall they have, they, they basically all change color at the same time. Oh my gosh. I bet that's so cool. Yeah. They, because I mean, they're all the same organism. So they all turn like yellow. So I don't know if you know what an Aspen tree looks like, um, but they almost have that birch bark kind of look. They have the, uh, Oh sure. Yeah. The slender trunks and that, sm- that, that pale smooth bark with like the uh, black scarring on it. And in the summer, they have really glossy green leaves that, um, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier the uh, quaking, or some some people call them trembling aspens. The leaves kind of shake and shiver in the breeze, so they shimmer really well. Um, and in the fall, they all change color at the same time, which coincidentally is so if you ever 
are in an area where there's aspens growing and it's fall and you see like four aspen trees change color all about the same time, it's likely that they are clones of each other and connected underground. So you can measure relatability just by looking at when they change color. That's just kind of a side thing. But uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's so interesting to see because like looking at it just as a human, you know, like above ground, they, we wouldn't think that they would be, you know, the same thing. It just looks like four, like different separate trees, but there's so much going on under the surface that we don't even know about. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot, there's a lot going on underground that we just, I mean, it's, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. That's like the whole, my, my, my whole, uh, final organism. It, it's all, it's all underground. Oh yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. So this is, um, Another contender for the largest uh, known living organism, like you mentioned earlier, kind of based on what definition of large you're using. Um, this is called the humongous fungus. This is in one particular individual of the species of fungus called Armillaria ostoyae, or it could be Armillaria solidip. Oh, hold on one second. <laughs> Solidipes. Oh, it's, I so, have I have the worst at pronouncing scientific names, so I totally get it. It it's and and unfortunately for this one, so I I looked all over to see if I could find like a definitive answer on which one which species name is like the one I should use, but like all of these different sources that I found, some of them said, "Oh, this is the older name. Now we use Armillaria ostoyae, but then some other ones will be like, oh no, that's the older name. Now we use this. I'm like, okay, y'all get your story straight. <laughs> so I was uh, confused enough that I was like, I'm just going to put them both in. So this is a, a species of fungus that, um, you know, is, is not necessarily like super rare or uncommon or anything like that, but this one particular individual of the species has grown so it's it's located in the blue mountains in oregon okay and this one particular fungus extends two and a half miles or nearly four kilometers across Oof. and this yeah this covers 2385 acres that's nuts so yeah it is huge um it is absolutely massive it in order to get that big, you have to have been growing for a very long time, like like the tree that you mentioned. Yeah. So while it's not 80,000 years old, um, it's estimated to have been growing at a rate of between about one and three feet per year. So that would make it between 1,900 and 8,600 years old. Oh. So it could be up to 8,650 years old. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's it's very, very old and it's been, and it's just been getting bigger and bigger and bigger over time so as you can imagine now at this point it has just sprawled over this huge swath of of forest yeah. but while this fungus is unfathomable unfathomably large the majority of its biomass is actually hidden underground so when you're just looking at this forest you wouldn't be able to tell um yeah it's not like with, it's a giant mushroom cap sticking out of the land right it's not um Right. Yeah. No, it's it's not one giant mushroom or anything like that, because I'm pretty sure we would all know about <laughs> that if that was the case. That would be really, really cool. That sounds like something you would see on like an alien planet in yeah. a cool sci-fi movie. Yep. And I would definitely love that. But so it does produce mushrooms. It produces them above the ground, but pretty briefly and only once a year. Mm. 
So um, they they sprout around the roots of trees that this fungus has affected. Um, I, I guess I should go ahead and mention now that this fungus is parasitic. So it uh, what it does, how it grows, is that it extends these black shoestring-like structures that are called rhizomorphs. And these little black stringy bits extend outward through the soil and they kind of root around and they look for root systems of trees that when they find one that's suitable for the fungus to feed on, the mycelium, which is the part of the fungus that kind of functions as its roots, um, the, the mycelium will then colonize the root system of the tree and then parasit- parasitize it. So it feeds on the nutrients in these roots and causes the tree to decay and die. Oh, wow. So it's, yeah, it's it's thought that this um, species is facing really low competition and really rich nutritional opportunities in these forests. So it kind of makes it ideal conditions for just completely unchecked growth. Wow. Like they're just, um, so the the way that the scientists were able to like tell that it was even there was that they scientists from the u.s forest service started to notice that a lot of trees in this particular part of the forest were dying off like way more than they expected or wanted to be dying off so they took root samples from 112 dead trees in this forest and nearly every single nearly every single one i think all but four had been infected with this species of fungus. So then they were like, huh, that's interesting. So they started to grow samples of the fungus in Petri dishes because if the fungus samples were genetically identical samples, meaning they come from the same individual, they would fuse back together. So when they tested this, they found that two in particular, two samples in particular that they tested fused together, indicating that they came from the same individual, but those samples were taken two and a half miles apart. Oh, that's awesome. So they were, so they were like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. So that's, yeah, so that's how they, they figured out, first of all, that it's all one organism. Second of all, how, how actually massive, like how huge this one particular fungus is. Mm-hmm. Um, that had to that had to be pretty wild <laughs> to see yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I I would have loved to be like those scientists that are probably like, this must have been mislabeled, right? Yeah. Like this had to have been a mix up. Like there's no way yeah. that these two like miles apart were were the same thing. But nope, it, that was it. You know, I've, so, I've heard it um, said that you know all great scientific moments don't happen with a eureka, but they happen with a oh that's that's weird. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure this was a mistake. <laughs> so yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Um, you know, just like the way that they even discovered that all of this was growing and thriving yeah. and living directly under their feet for thousands and thousands of years. Wow. Cause this was like in the eighties that they figured this out. Yeah. So it had been there the whole time and they just didn't know. So this this fungus can be it, it is deadly to the trees that it affects, mm-hmm. um, and and this type of of fungus shows up you know all over the country, and usually like when that happens, people are just like, oh, we need to just 
you know, plant different trees that are more resistant to it so that we can choke the fungus out yeah. and get rid of it. Um, but you can't really do that when it's like the whole forest. <laughs> like there's it's it's grown to the point that there's nothing that can be done to affect it. Right. Like there's just nothing that the the Forest Service can like do to like protect the trees or anything like that. There is an argument that some people make that, you know, the fact that it is killing off trees causes the trees to decay mm -hmm. and then the decay of the tree stimulates like the ecosystem yeah. because it gives like gives birds a place to nest and mm -hmm. maybe it you know gives invertebrates like a food source and and it, it it's it's good for decay to happen in forests yeah but it it also kind of seems like this was just like a almost like a freak accident that that this one particular one got to such a massive yeah. size yeah Definitely seems like it. And you know, it's kind of it, it, what it makes me think of is like beaver dams where they, they build a dam for very selfish purposes and by a freak accident end up creating like a really um, rich ecosystem where they where they end up they kill off trees because they flood out trees and then those trees die and become insect habitat and then bird habitat and then those trees fall and add more nutrition to the water and it's this whole like ecological cycle. But it's it's all because like a beaver is like, man, I just I just really want somewhere to put my food. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I mean, you're welcome, but you know, it's not about y'all. Like that, <laughs> that's cool me. and all, sure, but like, I mean, <laughs> I have very selfish <laughs> motives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of the the interesting mechanic of how like nature adapts and thrives over time to like whatever you throw at it. It's like even even parasites have their place in the 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 grand scheme of things of nature like even something that literally all it does is kill things yeah it it still has its place like it still serves its function yeah so all things considered for this humongous fungus although it is a, a contender for you know the the largest single organism in the world depending on like what metric you're going by i really only gave it an eight out of ten mm. because they so like one of the things that I look at when I'm making um, ratings for my animals on my show, even though this is not an animal, this is a fungus, which is not <laughs> a plant either. They're more closely related to animals than they are to plants, yep. but still um, something I, I look at is like intelligence and ingenuity and, and things that they do. And this is a fungus. All right. Mm -hmm. Like they're not doing anything. <laughs> they're just <laughs> growing, just, they're just growing and feeding and, and that's really it. So I, I can't really give them anything for that. So I, I gave them an eight out of 10 based on the fact that just, they seem to be thriving in their sure, environment. Yeah. Although I, I docked a couple of points because that success seems to be luck based. Yeah. Yeah. Like oh, I totally get that. the fact that they, the fact that they, and this one in particular ended up in a space that was like very ideal for it. Like that's <laughs> luck. Come on. You know, I, I like your, um, what you're saying a moment ago, first off, I, I totally agree, but I also, what you're saying a moment ago about how, um, uh, you know, the, the spin of, oh, it's a, you know, it's, it's, there's something positive that's happening for the ecosystem with it. You know, even though it's doing like this immediate damage and everything, there's, there's this ultimate positive thing that's happening. And I love that. I see, I see such a trend of that sort of thing, especially in, in like wildlife science or, or in um, really just science in general, ecological science, where there's, yeah, there's all this doom and gloom and stuff all of the time. Um, and, and wildlife science is very much kind of like, uh, 
operates in like an emergency status all the time <laughs> because of the things that are happening with declines in different wildlife species and plant species and with climate change. And so everything's kind of like emergency, emergency, emergency. But there's also this immense amount of collaboration and there's this tendency to like look for the bright spots. So like even though like this fungus is destroying things, you know, oh, but look at the other like bright things that are happening in the ecosystem because it's doing its own thing. And uh, uh, I, I just think it's a good it's a good thing to be doing right now in this moment where we have what we have going on. Um, one, to, one doing what we're doing is in kind of like, you know, taking a peek at and I guess our victor for for today is the elephant. Um but, 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 you know, taking a peek at, you know, things that are bigger than ourselves and very, very, very different than ourselves, even though we found some relatability with elephants and blue whales and maybe not so much with the fungus and the aspens, but, uh, although it's just mammal solidarity, yeah. that's all. Well, I mean, there are a lot of people quaking right now, so maybe the quaking aspen, um, who knows, but, uh, but also to be looking at, you know, some of the positive things, uh, that, that are coming out of this, um, very strange time. And I don't mean that in a way that in any way demeans the the very rough things that a lot of people are experiencing and, um, you know, families who are going through tragedies. And uh, I don't mean to, to, you know, take away from that. Um, what I, what I do want to throw out is just for those who have the opportunity to do so, to, to be able to look for those bright spots. Um, you know, we see so many numbers right now. We wake up and we look at the news and it's like a constant ticker of numbers. And every day we see numbers go up. And at a certain point, it's like, what do these numbers even mean anymore? And, and how am I supposed to feel about them? And what, you know, like, what, what, what does a thousand mean? Or what does 10,000 mean? And, um, you know, we're just looking at numbers in a slightly different way and, and looking for, looking for some positivity. So, I think there's room for, I, I tend to be an optimistic person in general, and I think there's room. There's room for some hope. Yeah. <laughs> there's room for a glimmer. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's also, it's also persistence, you know, I mean, blue whales, I mean, they're massive and they have to, like, they require so much food and, and they've existed for so long um, with, with really just, you know, a basic, like, okay, they filter feed. Okay. I mean, filter feeding is like the oldest thing in the book for animals and yet they make it work and they persist and elephants, they, they persist in a really harsh landscape. And this fungus has persisted for, you know, 2000 years. And these trees have persisted for 80,000 years. Um, persistence. Yeah. Just stay standing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no sitting right now. Cause then you, then you might not persist. <laughs> <laughs> Just stay standing. And that's, that's my advice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, do you have any, um, do you have any, uh, final, final thoughts for the day? Uh, shoot. If I had prepared one, I would have had something really deep and profound, but <laughs> isn't that how it always is. Right. <laughs> I know if I had, if I had thought ahead that I would have had a, I would have had something beautiful and succinct, 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 succinct to, to just wrap everything up beautifully and poetically, but, um, shoot. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know what? You know what? I think, uh, I think, I think this is fine. (laughs) I think it's fine. This is actually, this is much more reflective of who I actually am, like authentically. Yeah. So no, and and that's perfect. And I think, um, you know, 
<laughs> I think, you know, even in this moment, like we're all kind of just flying by the seat of our pants right now and just trying to make things work. And uh, uh, we're making this conclusion work. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, I would, I would, I guess just like two people that are experiencing like, uh, anxiety in, in sort of uncertainty over where things are going right now. I guess just like this won't be forever. Yeah. Like, you know, things, things, things evolve and things adapt over time and things learn how to, how to thrive. So this won't be forever. It'll be good. (laughs) Yeah. It'll be good. It'll be good. Yeah. Well, thank that's you. That's gonna go on my tombstone. It'll be good. <laughs> It'll be good. <laughs> You're like, huh? That's that's oddly poetic <laughs> for a tombstone. <laughs> Mine would say like, "Is Target still open?" Or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now, I I feel like if if our tombstone was generated by the phrase that we said the most in our life, mm-hmm. yeah, it would probably be something like, "Is Target still open?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I need some coffee. <laughs> that, that that actually do you mind if we that might be the do pick. you mind if we stop at starbucks that's mine <laughs> well thank you so much for for joining me today um i had a lot of fun and and i appreciated the conversation and uh, uh this was like i said this was a first for us to kind of partner with another podcast um and you know it's, it's something i hope maybe we can uh, we can do more in the future yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity. So thank you so much for for inviting me on. This has been a lot of fun. I, I had an opportunity to learn about a fungus that I don't normally do. Yeah. So I got to step outside of my comfort zone a little bit, which is very fun. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I just I really appreciate it. This was a great idea, and I think it was a lot of fun. Well, thanks. Thanks. All right. Problem. Okay. Thanks again well, to Ellen uh... Weatherford. I genuinely really enjoyed our conversation. You can give them a follow on Instagram at the zoo of us or on Twitter at just the zoo of us. They post a lot of great content. They share a lot of great content. They're hilarious. Um, It's just, it's, it's always a joy to see the types of things that they, that they're putting up. So um, absolutely give them a follow, start listening to their show too. They just put out their 51st episode this week. Um, They release new episodes every Wednesday. It's just been, um, it's been a great joy to to watch them and, and to build the relationship with them. And, and uh, it was a great joy to to put this episode together. So hope you enjoyed it. Um, I, I hope that we can do more stuff like this in the future. And um, if you want to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash the wildlife. Right now, I just want to thank the people who already do. Maria Hancox, Chris Trankel, Matt Capel, Andrea Lloyd, Bridget Fitzgerald, Megan Gariani, Mike Henry, Angela Hartman, and Chrissy Boker. They are the people who make the show possible. They get access to all kinds of stuff like merchy benefits and community benefits and Discord servers and stickers and t-shirts and, and sketches and postcards and thank you letters and all kinds of really cool stuff. Plus, plus our just constant, constant lifelong admiration and love. But, you know, that's, that's kind of just an added benefit. All that stuff and more listed at patreon.com slash the wildlife. You can become a member for as little as a dollar per month. Like a dollar per month. Like every little bit counts. And a dollar, that's not so much, right? I mean, it's a hundred pennies, but I mean, other than that, I mean, it's not that much. But it's a lot for us. I mean, it adds up. It adds up. Lots of us do all kinds of stuff like send recorders out to guests and get new merch and expand our horizons in ways 
we never thought possible. And um, really, you are genuinely, genuinely making this show happen and making sure that it continues to happen when you become a supporter. So thank you to all who do. Thank you to those who listen. Um, and thank you for those who m- might be regular listeners to just the zoo of us who decided to tune into this episode to see what was going on and what it was all about. Uh, we hope you stick around. We hope you we hope you enjoy. And uh, we hope you're staying safe and you're staying healthy and you're staying home. That's important too. All right. Until next time, I'm Devin Boker, and you've been listening to The Wildlife. Life.